This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast, the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Julia Hartley Brewer at breakfast on Talk Radio. Good morning to you. This is Talk Radio Breakfast with me, Julia Hartley-Brewer. Thank you very much indeed for your company. Very much appreciate that. Delighted to be joined by the Environment Secretary, George Eustace, right now. Good morning to you. Good morning. Well, let's talk about, obviously, the big news dominating the news the entire last week, the US presidential election. We've been discussing it all morning. Um, Crucially, how the UK relationship with the United States is going to change under a Joe Biden presidency uh, as opposed to a Donald Trump presidency. Um, How much do you think there is going to be a change and in what direction? Well, there will be a change. It's a new administration that's already uh, set out a different approach in some key areas. So in particular, uh, Biden has been clear that the U.S. will uh, rejoin uh, the the Paris uh, Climate Agreement, uh, which is quite important. Next year, the U.K. is going to host COP26, which is the next uh, conference of the parties to discuss climate change. And it's very welcome that the U.S. will be re-engaging on that. And I think just more generally, this is an administration that's indicated it wants to to re-engage uh, with the U.S. on some of those multilateral international agreements. And, you know, in that sense, it brings them closer to the U.K. Um, there's big concern about the internal markets bill. This is all the part of the Brexit bill going through the House of Lords today. Like the peers uh, very much opposed to it, will vote it down. This, of course, all relates to uh, reneging on the Northern Ireland protocol in relation uh, to the withdrawal agreement signed by the Prime Minister last year. If the Lords do vote that measure down, is it going to be reinstated, brought through the Commons and pushed through the Lords again? Or will the government accept the verdict of the Lords on that and let it lie? Well, look, our view is that these clauses are important. And so, uh, yes, it would be my you know, expectation that those would be put back uh, in the Commons uh, if uh, they were to be changed in the Lords. But we're not there yet. We'll be making the case quite strongly in the Lords for these clauses. And it's very important people understand this is about protecting the Belfast Agreement. It's about protecting the integrity of the UK internal market and making sure that there's cohesion to that market. And it guarantees Northern Ireland businesses access to the UK. And it ensures that if there are uh, some loose ends, that the joint committee process, that's the negotiation set up under the withdrawal agreement, is unable to iron out. Well, then the UK government will provide the legal clarity and legal certainty uh, that is required. And that's all these clauses do. 
Okay. Um, is there's been a big concern over the last couple of days? All, all of the uh, the broadsheets and the tabloids very much concerned about the idea that um, we are going to lose our close relationship with the United States because of you know, Donald Trump's relationship with Boris Johnson was pretty strong, uh, but that Joe Biden has been very critical, and that and that Joe Biden feels that the Brexit was a bad thing for for people of Northern Ireland and Ireland, and that his loyalties are going to lie elsewhere than from the UK. Is that a concern within number 10? No, it's not, because I think the relationship between the UK and the US has been an incredibly important one for many, many years. Uh, Huge amounts of joint working on defence and security in particular. And that means that that relationship uh, endures irrespective of who's in number 10 and who's in the White House. And I I think, um, you know, Joe Biden, there's no secret, um, he thought we should stay in the EU. Uh, Barack Obama, you might recall, came over in 2016 and campaigned to try to get Britain to stay in the EU. But look, um, the US will also recognise that they have to respect democracy in other countries. There was a democratic decision in this country to leave the European Union. I happen to think that's the right thing to do and campaign for it. And they may uh, they may not like uh, that, but they will also recognise that they need to respect democracy in the UK. Okay, let's uh, bring things back uh, to here in the UK then specifically and talk of a a vaccine being rolled out as soon as three weeks time. Hospitals have been told to prepare to roll the vaccine out. We know that some of the vaccines that are leading the world research are are here in the UK. Um, And we know that the government has done deals with the big pharmaceutical companies to sort of manufacture those vaccines. So they are ready to go the moment they get approval. Um, If we are going to see vaccines rolled out as soon as three weeks time, uh, who will they go to first? Is it frontline NHS staff? Is it the most vulnerable? Well, uh, look, obviously, I'm sure Matt Hancock and his team will be working out uh, what priorities should be given to who. I mean, it's possible that, uh, for instance, vulnerable people, those who are most uh, at risk, should they contract, contract coronavirus, uh, would come first and then you would, you would assess it thereafter. But I think it's also important that we don't get too far you know, ahead of ourselves. There is some encouraging work being done on vaccines. Uh, you know, there is the potential that it would be uh, available uh, sooner. We have to be ready uh, so that when it does become available, we can act quickly to get it deployed. But also we, we mustn't get um, too carried away because until it's uh, concluded and um, and this authorization is uh, uh, is given the green light, um, it's um, it's premature to be saying, how quickly we would have one. Sounds to me like you're saying that this isn't going to happen in three weeks' time. The papers have well, gone I'm ahead saying, of themselves. I'm saying, obviously, lots of preparation is going on to make sure that when it becomes available, it can be deployed quickly. But we shouldn't necessarily read into that that um, uh, that it is imminent. Um, there is a lot of very encouraging work that's going on. Um, there's been suggestions that it could come by the end of the year, but that's not certain. There's a lot of concern in the the papers in the last few days about Kate Bingham, uh, who is, of course, the head of the government's vaccine task force. Uh, Not only issues about her uh, effectively giving away uh, secret uh, confidential uh, information uh, at a $200 a head conference to people in the States, uh, but also that she has now charged the taxpayer £670,000 Count, count six hundred and seventy thousand pounds for a team of boutique public relations consultants. Um, do we have no one? We've seen Test and Trace paying seven thousand pounds a day consultancy fees as well. Do we have no one in government who can do any jobs at all? We have to constantly go out to the private sector. 
Well, you know, my view on these things uh, is that, generally speaking, uh, we should try to make use of resources that we've got in-house. We do have a lot of expertise uh, within government that should do that. Sometimes there is a case for bringing in uh, some different perspectives from the outside through consultants. But I'm um, somebody, Julia, who you know instinctively is quite sceptical uh, about consultants, whether they're management consultants or PR consultants and how much um, value that adds. So as a general rule, I think government should uh, try to use the resources, extensive resources that it's got in-house. But I, I don't know um, sufficient enough about exactly uh, what was um, commissioned? What how, work she commissioned? How convenient! You don't you don't read national Sunday papers then? I mean, the the, the, the business department of which she works effectively they have, they have a hundred communication staff all being paid by the taxpayer, and yet she hired a, a collection of, uh, of 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 people working full time, eight full time consultants from Admiral Associates, a London PR agency, and it was signed off by the civil service. What right does the civil service have to sign off spending on £670,000 of our hard-earned taxpayers' money on a PR firm? Yes. Well, as a general rule, um, uh, that kind of expenditure would also uh, come before, uh, you know, before ministers. And I I don't know, I'm sure that Alok Sharma, um, who obviously leads on this for Bayes and I think has got responsibility for the vaccination task force, uh, I'm sure that he'll be, um, you know, looking at this. Uh, closely to her job's to untenable what... now isn't it sorry say that her job's yeah. untenable now um I, i'm not going to say that look there, if there's uh, allegations that there's a conflict of interest in some way well there is a uh, a team within whitehall in the cabinet office that deals with uh you know ethics and uh, looks at these types of issues to check okay. uh, where there are or are not conflicts of interest and to act accordingly um, I'm sure if there's a, okay. um, a complaint that they would look at that issue. All right. Let's also talk about the latest government U-turn. Uh, we were told that we didn't need to see, well, back in, before the summer, uh, we didn't need to see free school meal vouchers because it wasn't necessary because uh, people on the lowest incomes uh, were getting enough money to be able to, feed to afford to feed their kids. And we had that U-turn after the footballer Marcus Rashford uh, pressed on that case and got lots of public support early in the year. Now, yet again, we've seen it. Um, this after numerous ministers like yourself and MPs have I've gone on out, gone out and said, look, there's, the government's doing what it do, needs to do to make sure the poorest children don't go hungry. We don't need to have these measures. It's not going to help the poorest children. We're doing enough. Now the government has given in and is going to do, give that free school meal voucher help. Um, is there any policy the government will stick to? Well, I mean, I, I can't help the fact that this will be reported by the media as a, as a U-turn, but actually, you know, it isn't. What the isn't? government said a couple of weeks ago is that we didn't think free school meals were the right uh, vehicle to use to address household poverty. We mm. felt that that should be reserved for term time in schools, and that remains the case. But what we also said at the same time is that we were looking at other ways of being able to support those suffering food poverty. Um, and we've been piloting since 2018, for instance, uh, a new scheme which is around holiday activities and food aimed at disadvantaged households and we're expanding that now quite significantly for next year from March. And to get us to that point, we're also giving another round of grants to local authorities so that they can target support in the best way in their area. So we're not reintroducing free school meals. We're giving local yeah. authorities uh, an increased grant to be able to tackle this problem in the short term okay. and rolling out a scheme that we've actually been piloting since 2018. 
Okay. Uh, just final question. I know we've got to let you go, but uh, um, latest evidence uh, that we've seen, uh, we won't go all the old ground, about 4,000 deaths a day and all of that, but the latest evidence from the, uh, COVID, the various COVID apps uh, for uh, King's College and the Zoe app and, and also hospital admissions data shows evidence that infections were going down uh, long before we went into lockdown across England. Hospital admissions are now at the same level they were 12 days ago. Was there any need for a lockdown? Weren't the tears working? Well, we, as you know, persevered with the the whole tiered approach, the regional approach, for as long as we could. Wasn't it about and a week? It did, well, it is the case. No, it is the case that the uh, the local lockdowns that happened in places like Liverpool uh, did start to uh, create uh, improvements, and we did see um, the infection rates start to drop in those hotspots. The difficulty, though, that we had, Julia, is there were parts of the country, including mine, uh, in places like Cornwall where the prevalence of the virus was very low, but it was accelerating very quickly. And in Cornwall in particular, doubling every seven days. And parts of the country had um, you know, less resilience in the NHS, an older population more susceptible. And that is why we, we decided that we had to intervene you know, with this national lockdown. You said doubling every seven days from a very, very low level, sort of, you know, six to 12 or something. Liverpool, by the way, the infection rate was going down from early October. It went down before you even went into tier three. Well, that's because, you know, the measures that were being taken there were obviously, um, you know, quite draconian measures to try to reduce mixing between households. And um, so, yes, you would expect that to have a benefit. We think that this national lockdown now will ensure that we can um, <clears throat> break the spread of the virus, both in those areas where you had high prevalence, but also areas where you had low prevalence, but a, a rising infection okay. rate. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. Talk Radio. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. Show right now, delighted to welcome Labour's Shadow Attorney General, Lord Charlie Faulkner, to the show. Good morning to you, Lord Faulkner. 
Good morning, Julia. Lo- I'd love to speak to you again. Lovely to speak to you. Can we turn our attention first up to uh, what's going to happen in terms of US-UK relations? Obviously, I mean, intrigued as, as, a, as a, a, a lawyer of many years standing, your thoughts on Donald Trump's, uh, uh, his, his views on, uh, on whether or not he's actually lost the election or not, possibility of all these legal threats as well, uh, talk of him having to be dragged kicking and screaming by the civil, by the Secret Service uh, out of the White House on the 20th of January when Joe Biden and is inaugurated. Uh, in terms of with your lawyer's hat on, what do you make of all of that? Well, normally you would need some evidence to try and set aside an election. And in the absence of any evidence, it's very difficult to believe that uh, uh, Donald Trump's got any uh, basis for trying to set the election results aside. The fact that he hasn't got a basis is made all the more compelling, I think, by the fact that even before they'd really started to count the postal votes on Tuesday evening, Wednesday morning, uh, President Trump alleged fraud. And it felt like not that he's got evidence of fraud, but this is a strategy he's adopting to try to undermine without any basis the election result. So at the moment, with my lawyer's hat on, I would think there's not much in that. That is somebody who's lost, who's not willing to accept that he's lost. No, indeed. Uh, we shall we shall see how this plays out. But uh, uh, yes, it's all rather embarrassing and difficult. Will it be embarrassing and difficult in terms of our future dealings in the UK with a Joe Biden presidency? Yesterday, you tweeted out, if the prime minister wants a relationship with President Biden, ditch the law breaking apart the uh, uh, breaking part of the internal market bill. Recklessly putting the UK beyond the pale might have seemed OK on Monday. It sure doesn't look that way now. The US have shown President Trump the door. What has changed on that front? because now there is a president of the United States of America who is unequivocally backing the Good Friday Agreement 100%, but perhaps more significantly is 100% backing the rule of law in international relations. What the United Kingdom government under Boris Johnson is doing is saying we won't necessarily comply with the withdrawal agreement, and in particular the Northern Ireland Protocol. If that's what you say about agreements you enter into with other countries then those countries that believe countries should stand by their agreements won't want to deal with you. And international cooperation, when one thinks about finding a virus, finding a vaccine, um, when one thinks about what needs to keep the economies of the world going, when one thinks about fighting climate change, it's international cooperation that's required. And for us, the United Kingdom, particularly so, when we're looking for new trade deals, as we leave the European Union. Well, we know, United, we know that Joe Biden has said that, uh, he w- that there's no prospect of a US-UK trade deal unless there's an EU-UK trade deal. But again, that is what Boris Johnson says he wants. And we're still told, you know, another seven days. Again, how many times have we been told that until that trade deal comes forward? But ultimately, I mean, some of the guests we've been speaking to, many commentators have pointed out that, you know, the, the fundamentals of a US-UK relationship are, go far beyond any personal relationships or, or, or animosity. On the, on the opposite side. And we are very much you know, militarily, intelligence-wise, foreign policy aims. Um, Boris Johnson very aligned with uh, Joe Biden on climate change, unfortunately, um, and lots of these big issues. Um, the, 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 these two, our two countries are aligned. There is still not maybe the special relationship for the United States, but there is still a special relationship, isn't there? Yeah, very much so. And I completely agree with that analysis that you've just done. However, there's a particular issue now 
which is that we want a trade deal, if we can get one, with the United States of America. There will be very, very many countries that want to talk to the new president and do deals with the, with the United States of America as Trump withdraws and President Biden takes over. We are likely to be much lower down the pecking order of getting that trade deal with the United States of America unless we make it absolutely clear that we are the sort of country that both supports the Good Friday Agreement and stands by our agreements. If the Lords take out the law-breaking clauses today, we are doing um, Boris Johnson a favour. I would strongly recommend to him that he stops digging in the hole that he's found himself in of law-breaking, which makes you very much the outsider and the person that other countries like the United States of America will not put high on their list of priority countries. But we have seen, didn't we? I mean, when it was all emerged at uh, this this uh, particular clause in the internal market bill um, that, uh, that everyone made a big fuss about, that on numerous occasions the EU uh, has seen many countries uh, breaching international agreements they've signed within the EU. And if there is a trade deal with the EU, that supersedes this anyway. No one's sensible and sane, speaking without their party political hat on, thinks this is going to undermine um, peace in Northern Ireland. When I mean, you talk about Joe Biden fully behind the Good Friday Agreement. I mean, apart from the people in balaclavas, who isn't fully behind the Good Friday Agreement? Everybody is. I think you're so wrong, Julia, when you say this does not undermine the position of the United Kingdom. Short, medium and long term, this sends the message that whilst Boris Johnson is Prime Minister, you can't rely on the United Kingdom to stand by its agreements, even one as important as the Northern Ireland Protocol, which underlines the uh, Good Friday Agreement. So you are so, so wrong when you think this makes no difference. I really, really uh, ask the government to think again. If the Lords removes the law-breaking clauses, then they have the opportunity just to put this terrible policy to one side. OK, well, we shall wait and see. And it does look very likely the Lords will do this. And if they do, the good question mark is whether the Prime Minister puts it back in again or not. Um, let me talk to you about uh, also about some of the reactions we've seen from uh, your side uh, of the political divide uh, to the election of Joe Biden, because we've seen, I mean, across the world, so many people in the party celebrating and delighted that Joe Biden has been elected, as of course, as a Democrat. No love lost for, uh, in, in terms of Donald Trump at all. I mean, I think among many actually conservatives as well but um did you not think it was a little bit strange so many people were querying donald trump and his questioning of the election uh, and and saying whether or not that he felt he, he that, that his refusal to accept the outcome of the election when a lot of these people including your colleague david lammy and others um a lot of these people have spent the last four years trying to basically question a, an election a public election here in the uk refusing to accept the 2016 referendum result uh, refusing to abide by that questioning it challenging it in the courts, uh, claiming it was all bought and done for by the Russians as opposed to ordinary British people casting their vote as they saw fit, trying to overturn it with a second referendum. Isn't it a bit hypocritical for the la many large cohort of the Labour Party and the front bench of the Labour Party right now to accuse Donald Trump of doing something which they spent the last four years doing? Well, I do think that things are absolutely different. As I, I mean, the, the position How? relation... Well, because there's absolutely no evidence whatsoever for the assertions that Donald Trump made. Indeed, they were so... There isn't. No, there isn't. There, there isn't. Time. But there wasn't any evidence on the Brexit front either. Yeah, let me finish. And indeed, so unevidenced were they that all of the networks 
in the United States of America pulled away from an address by the President of the United States when he said that they had no that, that, the, that, the, evidence, that the election had been procured by fraud. They believed that they shouldn't broadcast that to the United States of America because there was no evidence in it. So I really think you haven't got much basis for saying my colleagues are uh, unwise to attack uh, President Trump for saying there's something wrong with the election when he's got no evidence for it. No, Relate- no, no, I can didn't I, say that. No, I, Charlie, I, I didn't say to, that. You, no, I think you were implying they shouldn't attack him. No, no, I wasn't at all. I think what he's been saying is absolutely absurd. I'm no fan of Donald Trump. It was blatant lies what he's been saying. I'm saying it's a bit rich for them to accuse him of doing something which he's done, which they themselves have done. Julia, Julia, you then say it's somehow wrong to do that because throughout the period post-2016, a number of people said, let's look and see whether the Russians funded part of the Leave campaign. Let's look to see whether or not the funding arrangements for each of the campaigns were wrong. I don't think that is remotely a wrong thing to call. Let's for. have a second and referendum because we don't your... accept the result of the first one. That 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 you don't, you don't think don't, that's wrong? You're making you're making two points, don't you? Don't accept the results of the referendum in the sense that the referendum should be set aside because it's technical failures. Some people said that. I don't think that in any way disables them from attacking President Trump for attacking the result of the... It doesn't disable them, but it makes them hypocrites because they did exactly the same thing over Brexit. Not remotely. It is so clear that President Trump doesn't have a basis for that. To then say they are disabled from making that point because some people said we should investigate bits of the 2016 referendum is such total nonsense. No, the virtually, the, virtually the entire exactly. front bench of the Labour Party um, they stood on a campaign basis to have a second referendum because they didn't accept the results of the first referendum oh, and wanted to, ground, to override you've sw- it. You've switched to ground very dramatically. No, I, I said that Julia. in the first point. Anyway, I, I said that on, earlier. We've moved, we've moved on from the do you, do you, you don't think it's hypocritical at all? Not remotely. We've moved on anyway from all of that. Have we? Uh, let's we talk. Have. Let's talk about just finally the government moving on. Another Monday, another U-turn. We've heard over the weekend over the free school meals issue. Marcus Rashford asking for help for the poorest families uh, to uh, get uh, make sure their children are fed uh, during school or t- holiday time. Um, do you think this is the right thing for the government to do, or the uh, or, or I mean, they've claimed that they d- it's not necessary, it's not needed. Should they have U-turned? Of course, they should have U-turned and. I mean, the regret is they didn't do it before half term. Uh, and uh, it's it's a sort of indication of the disconnection of this government from what's actually going on in the ground. Obviously, the government is not remotely responsible for the arrival of uh, the pandemic, pandemic, but they, they, they should be more acute and sensitive to what the effect of it may be in relation to people's lives and uh, they only get to these positions when they're forced to by the media rather than making judgments of their own as to what the right thing to do is yes i welcome the u-turn it should have happened a lot earlier online on dab and on the talk radio app talk radio uh, delighted to be joined now by a man who is leading one of the biggest studies, actually the biggest study across the UK of uh, symptoms for COVID, uh, the King's College Zoe Survey. That's uh, Professor Tim Spector, who's principal investigator of the Zoe COVID symptom study app. Good morning to you, Tim. 
Good morning. Thank you very much for joining us. Now, if you, we've been hearing a little bit more about this app in recent weeks, especially when we're comparing lots of different data, whether it's what the uh, the, the local uh, infection rates are saying, hospital infect, uh, 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 rates of admission, and indeed the ONS survey, and indeed your app. Can you just explain to us what your study is actually doing and, and how you're getting your data? Sure, yes. Well, we, we were about the first survey to start back in uh, March the 24th when uh, we, uh, when there was no testing around at all and we asked people to put, enter their symptoms every day into the app. And very soon we'd built up millions of people uh, who wanted to tell us about their symptoms uh, early on when no one else was listening. And we, we asked over 23 different symptoms of the virus. And uh, initially we, we correlated those symptoms with two people who are positive and people who are negative. So we built up a virtual test for COVID because we knew with the algorithm who which people were likely to be positive. And then that allowed us to plot cases around the country uh, in the first wave and then as it died down um, in the summer uh, where little tiny hotspots were breaking out and, and we were sort of one of the first to pick up this uh, second wave happening uh, because our data really is the fastest reporting uh, method because we don't wait for all the official statistics to come back. And we, we teamed up with the Department of Health back in May to make sure that everyone who's using the app, uh, when they report sick having been well, gets invited for a test. And yeah. that means there's thousands of swabs done every, every week and we walk out at the, how many of those are positive compared to the ones uh, last week. And that gives us this rolling survey that uh, has been so so useful and is always a few days ahead of, of all the other, uh, well, there's only two others, but uh, it, different methodology. Ahead so it's, of the, it's, it's, on, a, it's on a mass scale, it's very soon and it's very accurate. And of course, your data has often tallied incredibly closely with what the Oxford National Statistics have done. And they do this swab survey where they just take, choose a household at random and give people tests. And then and from that, they're able to you know work out uh, how many people have got the virus. OK, so in terms of what your study has been showing us um, in, in recent weeks, you, you're, you're one of the, the, the three different sources in terms of the, the overall infection rate and indeed the Office for National Statistics that has shown using your app that actually we, are, we have passed the peak of what people are calling the second wave. Is, is that the case? Yes, I mean, we, we were seeing that at the end of October for... Um, where there was a levelling off in the country, but areas that were worst affected, like Scotland and the, the north of England, were already starting to go down. And basically over the, the last uh, week, that's just been confirmed even more. The R value is uh, down at one, and in some parts of the country is below one. So uh, we're, we're seeing Scotland, the northwest, and hopefully Wales, uh, today soon could be below one as well. So um, we're seeing a different picture across the country, but in a way, the North and Scotland got the second wave first, they got it worst, and they're coming out of it faster. Uh, and this has obviously happened before 
the English lockdown. And this is the crucial thing, isn't it? Of course, Wales coming out of their 17-day lockdown today. We in England are, are in sort of the fourth, fifth day of ours. Uh, and yet the latest statistics yesterday, not from your app, but from the official Department for Health uh, is statistics in terms of, uh, of, of COVID hospital admissions. Um, yesterday, they, were, they saw they were flattened. They were exactly the same as they had been 12 days ago. Now, we know there's a lag, isn't there? You get an infection uh, rise or a fall you get a hospital admissions rising or falling correlating to that two maybe one to two weeks later and then very sadly you'll get deaths correlating to that three or four weeks later your survey the ONS and the official hospital admission statistics would suggest then we're past this peak and that in the coming weeks we should see deaths coming down we've seen some pretty scary rises in the death uh, the death rate um, and those should be coming down would you be confident enough to give a sort of percentage uh, uh, you know, expectation of that? Are you sure that's going to happen? Do you hope it's going to happen? What do you think? Uh, well, I, I bet money on it happening, really. Um, uh, but it all depends how you define deaths, of course, because we're still actually below the level of expected uh, deaths for this time of year. So uh, most of the, the worry was about the predicted increase in, in deaths rather than the actual raw numbers across the country. Now, there are big differences in different regions. And I think the danger is to treat uh, somewhere as big as England as one single area, um, because clearly hospitals in the northwest of the country are, uh, the ITUs are, are pretty full, but they're in other parts of the country, they're not. Uh, and so that's why you know, things are happening at different speed at different parts of the country. But I'm fairly sure that, uh, Hospital emissions will start to uh, to drop, and then below that, deaths will drop. Uh, but that that all depends on what um, other restrictions are around, how people behave, and of course whether we get um, our normal flu epidemic at this time of year, which um, uh, is is still to potentially hit us yeah. as well. I mean, we're in early days for uh, for the flu season. It normally hits a little bit later, but can hit as early as October. We know that the Southern Hemisphere, which normally has their, their flu season, obviously, uh, you know, opposite times from us, they've barely had any flu season this year. And a lot of people think that's partly down to social distancing and lockdowns, but also may well be down to the fact that the dominant virus at this time is coronavirus, not flu. And, and therefore you're seeing coronavirus infections, not flu infections. Um, but a lot of people are really confused at the moment about this idea. We're in a lockdown, massive hit to our economy. And I know you don't want to get involved in the politics of this. That's not that's not what your, your job is. But massive restrictions at a time when we're told we're in the second wave, terrible fears. We have that 4,000 deaths a day uh, nonsense, as it turns out, a prediction and, and, and scenario uh, from the press conference from the Prime Minister Chris Whitty and Patrick Vallance a week and a bit ago. And yet, as you just said, we don't have any more. No more people are dying today than would die on the normal 9th of November in any other year. So are we in a pandemic or not? Uh, we're definitely in a pandemic. I think um, what we have been focusing on is these is these deaths. And that's not really the overriding public health issue. I mean, I, I think um, we we need to find a, a compromise here between having a sort of zero tolerance of, of, of any deaths from COVID, which are actually still relatively small in terms of other forms of death. Um, and 
not causing more deaths because we're obsessed with just this one cause due to COVID. And I think that's the getting that balance right is, is where we need to start seeking a consensus to realize that um, if, if we determine to wipe out all COVID deaths, which may only be a, a small fraction of total deaths, we will cause more deaths because we'll be effectively uh, hitting the economy, which has a massive effect on health, and hitting other diseases like cancer and heart disease. So I think we need a more pragmatic approach uh, to this to try and balance out uh, and accept that like in every flu season, we don't shut down the whole country, um, that we continue with these sensible restrictions, which seem to be have been working the tier system without shutting the whole economy down. I think that's that's really perhaps the lessons we need to be learned this and, and learning. We, we've got some good examples here of how Scotland and Wales have behaved differently and their rates have come down uh, quite rapidly. And I think we just need to learn our lessons. Uh, you know, we're all we're all new to this uh, and uh, make it up as we go along in a way. But I think what's really important is we do learn when we got it right, when we got it wrong and be, be more flexible in some of our attitudes. It, it is the case that infection rates were going down before we entered the England lockdown, but also that infection rates, for instance, were going down in Liverpool long before they entered tier three. So, in fact, the restrictions we had even in tier two in in some of the highest lockdown areas, the biggest hotspots in the northwest in particular, they were well. Well, either they were already taking an effect, or I mean, there is the possibility, isn't there, that other than the basic social distancing and washing our hands more often, and people just not being, you know, nightclubs and whatever, and, and really, you know, living our life as we used to live, maybe you know, a few months ago, that it may well be that actually a lot of these things don't have much diff- don't have much effect. I mean, is there a possibility, given that we've had such different outcomes in different countries, whether they've had a lockdown, not had a lockdown, the length, the the the, the severity of the lockdown, and 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 all around the world things have been so different. Is there a possibility that this virus acts how this virus acts, and there's actually not very much that human beings can do to actually stop it? Is th- is that is that a possibility? I think that's too extreme of you. I mean, I, I think um, I think all these all these effects have some influence on the virus, mm-hmm. but but what's clear is that it, it has its own uh, natural wave, if you like, like most epidemics do, and that will come and go. And in a way, how fast it disappears or or how how much it peaks in terms of infected people still does depend on our behaviour. So that's why. Um, you know, the second wave is not going to be as bad as the first wave because we're already doing a lot of the things that we weren't doing yeah. uh, when the first wave hit uh, in the 1st of April when basically everyone was, you know, running around like headless chickens, um, uh, sticking together, having meetings to discuss what to do about the, the lockdown altogether, uh, basically having COVID parties. So now we've learned from that. I think we, we can mitigate it. And we just got to start realizing that, yes, this is a virus that is going to come and go. It's probably going to be fairly endemic um, for us for the next uh, year or two. And I think we just got to work out where is that balance between our behavior uh, and uh, keeping the economy going, which is so crucial for our health and and keeping the NHS going so that people are not uh, ruled by fear and um, being put off going to hospital or getting proper treatment. (laughs) 
online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.